Welcome to the latest episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we are talking with our special guest, Sarah, to talk with us about civic hacking. Sarah, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Yeah, so I'm Sarah Yu. Um, I'm a UI engineer at LinkedIn. I work on the economic graph team, and I also work for like a civic hacking project, which we will talk about here. And my favorite beverage is gin and tonic because I tend to get flushed when I drink and it's like the safest thing for me to drink. It's the clear booze. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's also go around the table and give introduction of today's panelists. Mars, you want to start it off? Sure. I'm Mars Julian. I'm a front-end software engineer, and all thoughts are my own. I'm Stacey London. I'm a senior front-end engineer at Atlassian, and all thoughts of mine are Mars's, actually. I'm Augustus Yoon. I'm a software engineer at Twitch. Yeah, I just have thoughts, I guess. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. I don't know who owns my thoughts. <laughs> in each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the podcast, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Volunteering. Volunteering. So if we say the word volunteer, volunteering, we will all take a drink. Let's jump right in. I, I'm curious, what is the definition of civic hacking? Yeah, so I mean, I think there's a dictionary definition and like the, what it means to me. And I think the dictionary definition is just like applying technology to issues in the civic space, whether or not, whether it be government or nonprofits or uh, other issues. For me personally, it means like working on a project that you genuinely believe will make things better. And that's like kind of how I view it because it's a little more flexible that way. And does it mean you're doing it without pay? Is, is that kind of typical? Uh, I mean, that's like definitely a tricky, it's a line. I know a lot of people who've been able to kind of turn their projects into sort of money um, in various ways. For me personally, I like volunteer in my free time. I don't get paid. Um, I get paid perfectly fine in my job. So this is something that I kind of want to do, you know, in my free time. So that makes a lot of sense. And cheers to volunteer. Wow, I didn't realize that. Oh, it goes by quick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've always thought it as as being able to kind of give up basically a talent that you have and being able to apply it to whether making others' lives easier or better. But yeah, to me, it comes down to the nice V word. I'm trying to think of another word for it. but it, <laughs> Giving it, of it, your time. Giving up my time to to help others. And, and I think that's what I've always kind of thought of it as that too. I think it's interesting too that it's called, well, I mean, a lot of people think of it as civic hacking because it seems to me that a lot of the processes that we learn at our jobs are very applicable to this work as well. Like, I don't know if maybe that's just hacking sounds exciting um but it, it definitely seems the quality of the work is just as high as at some other places at least from what i've heard yeah i think hacking kind of takes a bit of the pressure off maybe maybe that's why people use that term because i think the expectation is that like again you're volunteering like your time and your skills and you can like put in as much effort as you can give like to the project well kind of like what you said too sarah is that you're you're working your full-time job at linkedin Mm -hmm. but this is even on top of that you have projects that you're working outside of it and i think that's that is is like kind of what mars is saying is you're taking this skill set and applying it and being able to leverage it yeah does the hacking thing kind of maybe also indicate like 
maybe there's an existing thing and you're just sort of incrementally improving it and doing it kind of quickly, but it doesn't necessarily mean it has like all the, I don't know, things that you uh, would put in place for say like incredibly strong production ready software, but it's still useful and beneficial because it helps. Yeah. I've found like working on this project to be really freeing, honestly, because yeah, you have more space to have things ship and not be perfect. And also you can take more risks with it. And I think that was like a, an unexpected sort of outlet for me that I didn't anticipate when I started, which is really nice. So it sounds like you're on a typical project that you're working on. I'd love to kind of hear about the project, but also like what kind of projects does that entail? Like what is civic hacking? Like what are typical projects that kind of fit in the world of civic hacking? Sure. So like the project that I work on personally, um, it's related, um, it's called web monitoring. It's part of the environmental data and governance initiative. And basically what it does is it basically tracks changes made to government websites. Um, we essentially show diffs that analysts actually review um, to see if any sort of meaningful things are happening in the administration that they're not necessarily, you know, surfacing to the public. So we've like, uh, this project has found a lot of interesting things. One is that the the term climate change and other related terms are are sort of systematically being removed from EPA and other websites um, they're sort of isolating pages. They're not necessarily deleting them, but they're removing references to these pages. So essentially, they're dead. But when you delete something, I assume there's like more of a connotation. So this is like kind of a more subtle way to make sure that people don't necessarily find this information. It's not in the primary navigation anymore. It's just like an orphan page. That exactly. I guess the only way you're finding it is probably SEO or like a site crawler, which I'm assuming that's kind of what you're probably using for the project too. Yeah. So this also partners with like the internet archives. So nice. um, yeah, so like sort of works in tandem. I don't work as much on that side. I work more on building out the UI that analysts actually use to to find the pages and and basically they create a packet of of um findings that they give to journalists to report on to kind of show let the public know like what is happening. What else kind of fits into a civic hacking project? Like is there a is there a type of project that defines that or as we mentioned volunteering cheers cheers, cheers. <laughs> does that just define it i mean i think again like there, so there are a lot of different projects um there there are a lot of projects that partner with the local government there are a lot of projects that partner with nonprofits but i've even seen people who've just like developed relationships with like say local businesses or local like um you know social like organizations and like built out technology for them like on a sort of personal basis and and for me that it also includes that kind of work so the project i'm on like is through code for america and there are like a set number of projects that are basically like hosted in that space like on wednesdays so but there's like a lot of ways to find projects so i'm curious for the rest of the panelists have any of you actually done any Outside work, especially outside work, I think that's a good way to look at it too. Is where you're giving up your time and applying your skills. Have you have you done anything like that? I don't know if this qualifies as civic hacking or not. Um, so I I did a hackathon, um, and Jem also did this at Annie Cannons, and it was a a day to just kind of help kind of push through some of the um, ideas that they have to help survivors of of abuse and kind of come up with 
either code to solve that problem or you know help help get those ideas more um, defined. And so that was like a day that you know just dedicated to that. That's really cool. And that was with Brian Holt as well, was mm-hmm. it not? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Shout out to Brian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's cool that you mentioned that because when I also thought of civic th- hacking, I think of all the hackathons that really target like trying to help good like they go under this premise of hacking for good or maybe they'll set a goal that says hey you know this is the theme we're trying to hack projects that will help the environment or help certain government problems and so when i think of civic hacking i that's like the first thing that comes to mind i I haven't personally done any of that i i've wanted to volunteer i think Anybody who, oh, oh dang it, Cheers. that's the word, Cheers. that's the word. Cheers. Cheers. But I encourage people to spend their free time to go to those, but not participate directly, but mentor. One that comes to mind, it was a few years ago, or well, probably more than a few years ago now, but there's one point where I helped just completely overhaul and build a humane society site and basically make it more of an, a web application so that they could manage their time for employees and and also just the actual site for others to be able to adopt pets and like that was just something I did in my spare time yeah use my skill sets and build something that you know I, I kind of like what Sarah said too is there's a lot more freedom too it was just like they're like yeah we just need something better than what we have what do you want to do and and it kind of gave me the freedom to just do that it, there was a lot to do but it was cool i could just do that in my spare time obviously outside of work civic hacking the v word (laughs) (laughs) it it comes at a cost it's it's time how much time and commitment do a lot of these projects require i mean i think again like uh it's really how however much time you want to put in. I think some people are intimidated because they think it's going to be like a huge chunk of their life. And it can be if you want it, but it also can be like a one-day hackathon that's very valuable. It could even be like on like we're kind of using like civic hacking as an its own bucket, but I feel like you can even kind of practice those same principles like at work, right? Like if you're speaking up for like an ally feature or something like that, like I, I still kind of in my mind that falls into the same bucket, right? Um, it, For me personally, I spend maybe like two to three hours a week and I could definitely spend less. I could spend more, but that's like what I've personally been comfortable with. I think it's more what what I've noticed has gained more traction is if you're consistent, not how much time that you spend, because it takes time to like ramp up on the code base. It takes time to like get familiar and get acquainted with the maintainers. So even if you only like, you know, show up once a month, if you keep doing that, it can make like a big difference. Um, so, or yeah, like really well-defined projects like hackathons and stuff like that are also like super useful. I'm a fan of what you said too with consistency. I think that's to me always a big one. Even this podcast, knowing that we release bi-weekly, it keeps the cadence and making sure that it's like, oh, well, we've got to do this. Having that cadence or consistency really helps just mentally for me is like I prep for that and make sure that I have that time to do it and and sounding like two three hours a week that's that's actually not too bad to to give I mean that's just likely going to come out of my binge watching time which is you know <laughs> like I could probably apply to something else which is very cool yeah how much time do you waste everybody like on social media or some silly thing that you could easily replace in it well my iOS so phone keeps telling me how much I spend <laughs> on it it's, it's kind of depressing so I, I could be applying to my skill sets to do something better than that well I really like 
also what you said, Sarah, about how it can come off as really intimidating, but really it is sort of like what you make it in terms of like, it could be two to three hours or it could be less if, if that's the only, the only time that you had. But at least for me personally, and in people I've spoken to, just the amount of time seems like the largest barrier to entry and also not realizing that these projects are, they are in flight. So it is incremental. You're not building something from the ground up necessarily. So it's a little bit less scary in those ways, I think, which I found kind of eye-opening recently. Yeah. I mean, just to like put it in context, I like worked on a feature that wasn't super complicated for like two or three months, which in my, if I was working full time, like that would be a big deal. But like for for this project, it's totally okay to like take your time and like sometimes you have to drop off for a couple weeks and like that is totally acceptable. You know, again, like I think people like these projects in general are just like really happy to have like experienced and engaged like developers and other like specialized people like work on them. And so they're not going to be like pissed off if you're gonna if you're you can't spend like 10 hours a week you're giving your time like it's hard for someone to be like frustrated and mad they're like you're not giving up more of your time it's like <laughs> yeah. oh, that's tough yeah yeah in general people are just happy that you show up and that you're interested right and that also just like think like showing that like what they're doing matters to you as well so that's interesting that you say like two or three months for a feature i'd be curious to know like um because how do they manage timelines? And, and then with sort of if you have, I'm going to use a different word, people who give their time freely <laughs> <laughs> to, to these projects. Like um, and that seems totally reasonable from from your perspective. How, how are the timelines managed for projects going forward? I think it really depends on the project. Like, for example, Code for America, some projects have really active like PMs and like designers and like other projects. Again, it also depends on how like where the project is in the phase of development, what the nonprofit um, like is like the nature. I think part of it is, again, like finding a project that you um, really care about and also like the the way things are developed, like feels really comfortable to you because you can re be really selective and just pick like the perfect fit for you. For the one that I'm on, there's it's it is like pretty freeing. Like I have been basically choosing features. There's a there's a general list of like what needs to get done, but I pick what I want to do, and there's no expectation of like a timeline. And that has been really great for me because then I can just commit to like what I'm capable of committing, which really varies. I like that too. And I think you mentioned something there too, is like almost being passionate about the the project that you're working on. I think that's super important too, is that, you know, consistency, but also passion for helping to drive towards something. You're like, yeah, I, I truly see the value in this and I'm adding to this and that, that can be really helpful. I'm also curious how big it like, just even specifically the project that you're working on, how many other people are also working? Because you said there's a list of features, the things that need to be done. How many other people are working on it? So I, I've like talked to Mars about this too. The team is fairly small. There are probably four developers. There's like um, one person who's like very dedicated. He's like super engaged on the project. That was actually one of the reasons why I joined was because I realized I didn't want to be on the hook to be the maintainer because I knew what I was capable of committing to and I was not a I didn't want to be responsible for whether or not this project like lived or died right and that was really helpful for me to have someone who was already like sort of built it from the ground up and I was sort of adding on to it um, but not fully responsible for the success of it um, I think total we probably have 
maybe three or four people that are really like engaged in development. And then we get a lot of outside people who maybe build out a few features. And that's still really useful. Again, like it's what you can commit to. Even if you just like build out one feature for one of these projects, that's still like a big deal, right? Um, so yeah, we get a lot of, um, you know, people who, who like, sh who help out for like a couple months and that's like still really useful. Yeah, I also love how you mentioned, you mentioned there were like PMs and designers also on the team. And I feel there's this connotation with civic hacking that you actually have to code, you have to build something, but even designing, there's a lot of things that are needed. Um, like actually like one of, when I thought of civic hacking, I feel like they have the hardest problems. Like. I was reading this hackathon of this designer who participated in trying to solve traffic, and, Ooh, and I, was, I was just like, I was like, I need, I don't care what it is, I want to hear what it is because I hate traffic in Bay Area, and it was crazy. He he created, he designed this uh, vehicle that is like it like rolls above traffic. It creates wheels off the side lanes, and basically it's this thing where a bunch of people can like go into it and it like lifts above the traffic. And he's thought of all these cases like, oh, what happens if there's a bridge and there's all these like things. And, you know, it's just a design, but it at least gets the discussion going like, hmm, you know, why, why wouldn't this work and stuff? Yeah, it's not totally out there. It's like, it sounds like it, but it's like maybe this is plausible or it's just getting people to think about a problem and saying like, hey, no one's really thinking about this at this moment. Yes. Like, how do we, how do we discuss this and plan around that? I also think it's interesting too is I guess is what you said what comes to mind too is like what's the skill set needed and I, I think you're right like it's not hacking to me a, yeah you're right always kind of feels like engineering or developers that can even be someone brand new to learning coding it could be doing some of these projects is a great way to you know I always say like jump in and create something this is a great way to do that is like hey you want to learn how to code something well this is a good way to actually apply some of the things you've learned and continue to kind of bang something out and not having the timeline is really really important too yeah definitely we've i've like seen a lot of people sort of like ramp up their software engineering chops on these kind of projects and again it seems it's kind of like a win-win situation because they learn and they're all they also like help make the project better which I think is like really great, you know. And it's also exciting to like help teach people um, who are excited to learn. Also, it could be like a good mentoring opportunity too. If you like are super, you've been doing it for a long time, it's a great way to like get in touch with people who maybe are just starting out and helping them too. How do you find these projects? I think that's a that's one that always comes to mind. Uh, even for me, like when I was doing just like like a humane society site it was just something that kind of fell into my lap in the sense that like i knew that skill i love animals and it was just kind of like hey we need this and i'm like great uh, i'm happy to help let me do it and i'm curious is there ways like if i today was like i have extra spare two hours that i should not be spending on netflix um <laughs> uh, what should i be doing like are there ways that i can just start to like quickly dive into something yeah i think people i think that's another misconception that it's like really hard to find these projects and it's really hard to like sort of break into it but honestly there's like a lot of avenues i think the easiest one um for that was easy for me was going to like the code for america meetup that's already on meetup.com. You can just like go and show up and they actually have a time where they pitch projects like at the beginning. So there's like a series of projects that people are looking for, you know, people to work on and you can just go there and like, you know, talk to the different teams and like talk to the different 
to the different, um, you know, project managers and stuff like that. There's also a lot that you can even just like find on GitHub. There's also, um, like to your point, you were saying like, yeah, there's a lot of hackathons out there that again, you can, you can go there and you can also meet people who are probably engaged in the community and they have a lot of uh, suggestions. And if you're not super social, like what I love about it is like, for example, the Code for America, like um, meetup group in SF has a Slack channel. And you can just go there and kind of just like kind of lurk and and people will post projects in the in the main Slack channel. And then you can just reach out to them directly. Like you don't even have to go to the meetup and like put yourself out there. So oh, I didn't know about that. That's yeah, good. that was good for me because I am not always the person to like just go and be like, hey, can I work on this? Like you want me on your team. Like that was very intimidating for me too. So yeah, I think that's the tough thing too is like we all we always say like go out, meet people, go to network and everything like that. One, it's not that easy to just jump in and do. Yeah. But two, it's also that's a time commitment on itself. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you could just jump in a Slack room and you're like, you know, well, you could actually search history and, and just find something and be like, wow, I'm super passionate about that. I would love to help. Like that makes things a lot easier. Yeah, the Slack channel sounds great, especially if, you know, some of these some of these things require like it matching up with your schedule too, which sometimes can be the hardest thing. So if you can do it asynchronously um, and just in terms of finding the opportunity in the first place and then the actual work itself, that can solve a lot of like scheduling headaches. Yeah, I love the Slack channels. Pre- I've, from what I know, like almost every like Code for America, like meetup group, like in the US has their own Slack channel. And then there's a general one for the whole nation. So yeah, you can just join those and just see if anything like speaks to you. And that, you know, requires like one minute of your time to join a Slack channel. I feel like we do that like all the time. So <laughs> I have too many Slack channels. <laughs> but yes, it's a great way to like jump in and, and be able to like join. I like that. There's usually some government agency that pick the agency and they usually have some sort of open source. Uh, NASA has a pretty big one, like pretty solid repository. Uh, code.gov is pretty solid. Uh, usually you pick an area of interest and say like, I want to do open source work in there. And there's usually something going on. How well maintained that is depends on kind of that particular agency. But I, I'm with you. I think local government's probably a little bit more applicable because it's your town and it's like things you can apply to your day to day and your neighbors, things like that versus like all of America. I I like what you said, Jem too, of like, even it sounds like open source is kind of into this realm is like GitHub and repos that are out there is like you can absolutely be contributing to that too. Because I think like that's a great way is there's a lot out there already. What if like you're not familiar with that world? Like you're, you want to help, but like, and you maybe are just starting off in dev, but maybe you're not super familiar with open source or like get, do organizations like Code for America kind of help those kind of people uh, make it a little bit easier for them to to join in? From my experience, there are a lot of uh, people who are just starting out who like go to the meetup and yeah, again, they're they're interested in the project. They are also interested in learning. And I think usually, again, like people are just excited for someone t- that cares and that like wants to work on the project. Like it's really not like a sort of ivory tower situation where you have to like prove yourself with like a coding challenge or something to like work on it. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> thank like goodness. That. There's no whiteboarding involved. You just have to say you're interested and like people are more than happy to like help you out. And I, I love that about the community. It's like very like humble. Nice. That's awesome. Stacey, you're not a fan of the coding challenge? 
I'm not a fan of those. I don't think anyone is. I do like that. There should be a low barrier to entry when you're, I mean, you're giving up your time. Like, I think that's really important. And we're all going to come at it from a different skill set. It, it truly is. And we should encourage it more and more. I think it's a great way to learn. But yeah, if you're, oh, yeah, you've got to be like a very senior engineer to contribute. Well, that's that's no good. I, th- I think that kind of goes against the mentality of actually being able to to all contribute to it. Yeah, and I think it what was so kind of eye-opening to me when Sarah and I first started talking was that I think the perception is really that it's so hard to get into. But the reality is that it really, it really isn't. Um, and I think it, for whatever reason, it took just talking to someone who does this on a regular basis to really understand that. Um, but also, like Sarah, for your passion to to show through in in terms of this types of type of work, also was really eye opening as well. Tomorrow's so was it something you thought about before? Like, so you and you and Sarah met each other at uh, an event that you were both speaking at. Was it something you were thinking about and you're just kind of like, oh, well, I would love to do that, but just like it's one more tax to think about? Yeah, well, I like you said you volunteered for, oh, shoot, volunteered. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. It's been a while. For the Humane Society at one point, and I had a similar experience with the SFSPCA, which was to work on sort of like a find your pet kind of application, but that did not go very well at the time. It sort of like fizzled and... Um, Stacy and I actually went to the Code for America meetup once, um, but it was like an unusual one for them. So it it was, I guess, in both of those scenarios, it was hard to find sort of the in, sort of like the correct person to give you sort of the information that you, pers- like me, personally needed to hear um, and also like the ways of actually connecting with the community. Um, and that sounds circumstantial more than anything else, but it was sort of, you know, building up that perception in my mind. The one agency I worked for, Every year they would try and and actually give out billable hours towards some volunteer work. Uh, <laughs> trying, to, trying to think of a different Cheers. word. Cheers. <laughs> Just a cause that we could apply some of our work and, and build an application for. And and there was there was a couple of things over the years that I worked on, which I thought were just amazing. It was really cool because there again, you had a lot of freedom and you're working with your colleagues on it too. And just saying like, let's create this. And it, it was almost like a, gave you the ability to just try something different. There was nothing prescriptive of what technology you used or how you did it everything you created was going to be that much better because nothing existed before. And I think that was really, really cool. Yeah, I totally agree. A lot of times the you're building things that do not exist. So even if like what you're building is just like completely unstyled or heaven forbid you use bootstrap or something like that, it is <laughs> significantly better than like what what is out there. I think another thing too that I think is important to know is that like, for me, like I decided to do this um, from also like a mental health perspective, to be honest. Like I wanted to direct this sort of energy that I was feeling like, you know, I wanted to I wanted to f- direct this sort of angst into a way that I felt was positive. And I like actually since I've been working on this project, I've noticed that my sort of mental health has like improved, to be honest, to feel like you're working on something that is really like making that impact has really helped me out. So it's like not completely 100% from like an altruistic perspective. Like you also like, from my experience, I also get like a lot out of it by working on this. That's a very, very good point too. It's not selfish, but it's like, yeah, this is something that you care about and you feel good about too, is can be very good and uplifting as well. I probably also get different 
get creative on something that you're not necessarily doing all the time at work. It, you can do something completely different. Yeah, I think the point is that it isn't just like you're doing something because you feel obligated and it doesn't feel good. Like it should make you feel good to work on it. It should be giving you energy and like not taking away energy. And if it's taking away energy, then yeah, maybe you want to like look into a different project or look into different ways to like help. Um, so it's like definitely doesn't have to be like for everyone, but yeah, it's like definitely helped me out a lot, like personally. So we talked a lot about like Code of America came up quite a few times and I'm curious, like that's a great example of civic hacking. Are there other organizations, other things that we should be thinking about that maybe help our listeners too, as if they're wanting to spend their free time, like what's, what are they passionate about and are, how do they get involved and like what organizations exist? So for Code for America specifically, I know I, a few years back I looked into it and I'd heard of the idea of like fellows and um, making it something a bit more dramatic than just a few hours a week where, you know, you do it full time. It's a, a commitment for, you know, a period of time. Um, you work. Uh, for Code for America, but then you get placed in other cities and you kind of run squads or something. I don't, I don't know all the details about it, but I think you can get much more deeply involved if you would like. Yeah, that exists. Yeah, I mean, honestly, sometimes what I've done is I just like go on Eventbrite and I look up civic hacking and then things pop up. Like a lot of it's like, like accessible through Google search. And like, I like... I think like another thing that's important is like I'm not an expert in this space either. Like I'm just a regular developer who found this project that I care about and I'm just like working it on, on it in my free time. Like it's not necess it's it's again it's a lot of finding these projects is a lot of Google. It's like a lot of looking on GitHub, looking on meetup.com, like finding these spaces cuz they're already out there. Um another one that occurs to me is like the US Digital Service if you want to again dive deeper into it um like that's where you can really like try to make um the technology better in government services so yeah they're like all, all of these things are definitely out there which we already do have the skill as engineers to be googling stuff like i feel like that's what i do on a daily basis <laughs> yeah. so i mean th this should be pretty easy yeah i also want to call out that for a lot of students um you should look within your own college's organizations, student organizations, because there might be organizations um, that are targeted for ha civic hacking. So I know UC Berkeley, uh, one of um, one of this, these interns, Helen at Evernote that I um, mentored for, um, she was really, really active in an organization called Blueprint um, for UC Berkeley. And literally, it's just a student organization run by students. And every every year, they commit to like helping with a nonprofit or some some project that basically can rally all the students together. And it's a really, really good way to like learn, like they have all their um, projects on GitHub, so anyone can contribute to, but, so it's a really great way to, if you're, especially if you're a student, really diving in, experiencing what it's like to like be in a Scrum-like environment. Um, it really, it's a really, really good opportunity. And if you're, college doesn't have those student organizations there's nothing stopping you from starting it yourself like i think that's also something to remember that you can just as easily start this at your college it's a really really good opportunity and plus one of what augusta said there's a, a ton of people that mess me on twitter and like hey can you look at my resume or you know i graduated boot camp stuff like that but they don't have any real world experience and the options there are well you do some open source project which is cool you know like 
yeah, you should do that. But if you work for like a civic happening or a nonprofit or something like that, you get real experience working with real engineers, which is very different from what you get learning in school. Plus, you have real experience. You can be like, oh, actually, we would dealt with that. Plus, the barrier is a little lower because no one's paying you. So you're not as obligated. Like, you're still going to do a good job, obviously. But you don't feel like the pressure of like, well, they're paying me. I have no experience. So that way, when you go to apply for a job, you can say like, yes, I've worked with PMs and designers and things like that. It's a really good intro way. That gap between like boot camp and college and the real world. It also sounds like, based on what Sarah said earlier, like a good opportunity, like another avenue into finding a mentor um, while you're sort of like in between stuff um, in order to like kind of accelerate some of that real world learning. Yeah, it's creating something for your portfolio essentially, right? Every time when we say like a new grad that's the hardest thing is trying to find an actual job. It truly, truly is. Once you have the first job, you're like, yeah, I did this, 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 and this. I can go find the next job. But that first job is really, really hard. And so if you're like, well, I helped create some new city site or you know my town website. There's things that just needed to be better. I built an application, made things more efficient. Now you can actually point someone to that and you can in an interview can actually speak to that and i think that's really cool too it's beneficial to others but also you hopefully learn something and also can apply that to the next job i think some government um uh, agencies also make a lot of the data public and so if you're resourceful and you have the drive to want to maybe figure out uh some answer to some question that you have you can you know kind of dig in yourself and and maybe like expose that data and make an app on your own even that like answers a question that you have and maybe no one's answered it before but you you have like all this data at your disposal to do that so like self-initiated things can be a part of that too yeah the government has a list of public apis that you can hook into and that is like really exciting and also intimidating, but it's <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> Treasure trove. Treasure trove. Or Pandora's can of worms. box. <laughs> <laughs> you can do a lot with data. I mean, Google even, like Augustus mentioned the like traffic problem. I mean, like Google has APIs. You can dive right into a city or town and really isolate that and, and leverage data that's already available. It's open source and you can do something really cool. Yeah, if, if someone will solve the traffic problem, I will <laughs> be forever in your debt. Are I you going to start paying them? I, I Honestly, I would. I would go to your GitHub and, you know, I'm... Uh, right, yeah, because we I'll, can now or, actually pay someone right. on GitHub. Yeah, or some, something. I don't know. I'll give you a hug or something. <laughs> uh, Augustus get, hugs going out. I like it. Not as good as Gems hugs, but they're... Yours are worth a lot more. Really? Oh, golly, jeez. You're going to make me blush, you know? Before we get into picks, I would love to hear each of your thoughts on, like, what's one piece of advice that you would kind of say to someone who's maybe wanting to get into civic hacking or our beautiful, beautiful keyword volunteering? Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, what's one piece of advice? A lot of companies offer that, but if your company offers you the ability to do volunteering on paid time, do it for civic hacking. Like, that's great. Like, I take that, you know, corporate corporate money and push it out towards something, you know, good. And I think that's a great way to spend it and uh, get involved that way. And then you'd mentioned using Slack to, like, try and kind of get into some of this. Um, but also ask a friend. It's a great way to, like, you know, Mars and I went to a Code for America meetup. 
feels a little bit less intimidating when you go with someone that you know, like do something like that. And and that's like an easy, uh, a way to kind of ease the stress of kind of going into something that's unfamiliar. You said the V word. So I'll yeah. just oh, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Sorry. You know, someone's going to call it out. I guess like for me, like what I've said before is again, like pitch, pick a project that you really believe in. Don't just use it to check a box, like actually believe in what you're working on because it's really tough. Like when you're really tired and you really don't feel like working on it to work on something that you don't actually feel invested in. That was the one that I was going to (laughs) say, but I will, I will reinforce that. You know, I think passion, um, if you're really passionate about the problem, I think that's really important. And also, I don't know, some people get really intimidated that, let's say they're, for example, they're contributing to open source, like, oh, everyone can see my commits, doesn't look good and stuff. Don't don't think about that. Honestly, nobody actually really cares and nobody really dives in and says, wow, this guy committed a comma deletion. What a waste of a, what a waste of a commit, you know, that should have been squashed or something. Nobody really cares about that. I feel a lot of people get really intimidated and sensitive about that and, you know, really just focus on what you're trying to build. And that's really what people care about. Sarah, I like what you said about you feel better after doing this. And that's super important. I I think increasingly as we mature in tech and as engineers, a lot of us do things that are, uh, we work in areas that are ethically gray, as in like deep user tracking across the internet and selling ads and things like that. I'm not, not here to judge today. Maybe maybe next time. <laughs> maybe another episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely, we could definitely, definitely judge on that one. Yeah. But you know, if you feel if you work in an industry and you're like, well, I got to get paid and like I got to feed my family, but I don't necessarily feel good about what my company's doing. Like, try to offset that a little bit. You know, I'm not here to judge how you make your money, but you know, you can do a little bit of good in the world and like volunteer and you know, try to try to balance out that karma. Cheers. 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 All right. Before we end the episode, we love to jump into picks of things that we found interesting and would like to share with our listeners. Let's go around the table and share today's picks. Mars, what do you have? Oh, don't start with me. Okay. Guess, oh, yeah. No, no. you're getting yeah. you're starting. All this. right. Um, I have a somewhat uh, Valley Silicon pick today. What? Um, I know. Sorry. Sorry, Jim. It's called um, the Theragun which is for like sports recovery and also like muscle activation. And if you hate foam rolling with a passion, like I do, I highly recommend it. Um, Why do you hate the foam rolling? It's just so difficult. You got to like contort yourself to get to the the places that need the rolling, Um, which is difficult. Yeah. So I think that will be my, my singular pick today uh, because it's somewhat ridiculous. (laughs) Does it work though? Yes, it does. Okay, well then that's not. I mean, I guess gems picks are usually expensive and four hundred dollars. Wait, <laughs> oh. no, I'm looking at it now five hundred dollars. No, no, no. There's three models. Six hundred. I'm what? like reading the models. Are you, as they it's, go like, up. it's like a ticker, like going up. Yeah. Like, there's the G3 Pro, which is six hundred. Yeah, but that you don't need that one. Which one do I need, Mark? Get the regular G3, which is. Whoa, look how fast. <laughs> okay, yeah. Wow, that's fair. It's fair. I, I definitely have picked the foam roller. That's why I was curious. That I'm going is, with one pick, pa- I told you, because it is expensive. All right. Well, all right. That thing is fair fast. Enough. It's like. Yeah. Anyways, that's it. That, that's your pick. Good pick. Good <laughs> that's pick. awesome. Stacy, what do you have for us? Um, three picks. The first one, hopefully I'm not taking anybody's pick, but Code for America. I, it's a great organization. There's lots of ways for you to get involved. So uh, maybe... Maybe sir, we'll talk more about that. Um, two picks outside of that that are the normal uh, music picks. The first one is a song called Wild by Tourist. Um, shout out to my friend David who uh, shared this track with me. Um, I'll read a quote to describe the song. 
Wild sits somewhere between Jamie XX and Bon Iver with its reminiscent elements of heavy, heavy synths and earthy bass bringing a solid ambient house feel. So check that out. And then the second one is Radical by Amtrak uh, and Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs, which is the best name ever for an act. Soulful, nostalgic, uh, charming vocal presence was a description that I read about that. And uh, both of those are a good little bit of a vocal presence in both of those. So maybe not the best for coding, but also very enjoyable. Yeah, you can still listen to vocals while you code. It's not that hard. <laughs> Sarah, what do you have? So I, I will not going to lie, one of mine was Code for America. The second one is also kind of expensive. It's um, Pat McGrath Labs, because I not only care about civic hacking, I also love makeup, and it's okay to like both. So that is what, I'm, what is on my eyes right now today, Ooh. and I think it's important for everyone to know that. Right on. Nice. Guess this, what do you have? Ooh, what do I have? Well, uh, so my first pick is a coffee shop called Devotion Coffee. Um, specifically the one in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. They have a really, really beautiful like coffee shop. It's like a wall of like nature and it's just like really nice setup. It's a little out there. Um, I went to New York over the holidays. So I, I was like exploring coffee shops and that one was like really cool. So I think if you have time, you should check it out. And then uh, I think we talked a little bit about it, but um, data.gov has like an incredible, incredible like library of data sets and you know civic hacking like like kind of what i mentioned you don't have to necessarily hack i see a lot of people on the subreddit for data visualization they create these amazing visualizations and just like showcasing problems from data like it just helping with that that really starts the conversation and that's really where the first step begins so um definitely check it out and if you're into data or data visualization i heavily recommend like digging in there and stuff. Jim, what do you have? Uh, to start with my Valley Silicon pick, that is the <laughs> segment where we pick things that are just ridiculously expensive and willing discs because Whoa. we have too much money. A question for the for the group. How much would you spend on a water bottle? Uh, you know, I feel or, like this is a like trick a question. No, 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 I think or, it's, a, it's a good question. A container that contains water that you can drink out of. What are the uh, features of this water bottle? $20. I'm, I'm, on board, I'm saying about a 10 to 30 10 to 30? I'll say 30 for something that actually keeps my water cold for a long time. Yeah. Okay. There, there is okay. some. Or 40, 40, upper limit. Oh, 40, okay. Well, I think 30. Wait, Jem, is it Wi Fi enabled? <laughs> it is. Okay. Wait, then. so for real? <laughs> what if it tracks how much water you drink in a day? Why do I need to know that? How? That's why it's Valley Silicon for my Valley Silicon pick, it is the Hydrate Spark that is spelled with an I. It is a $60 water bottle. 60? But the feature is it, it keeps track of how much water you drink. That's Man, it? We're so Silicon Valley. We're like, hey, $60 really? for a water bottle. I'll take hey, how 10. How does it know? How does if you just pour water out? It wouldn't know. It wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> you only deceive yourself. Like a interesting, interesting product. Does yeah. it chastise you if you don't drink enough water? Ooh. I think it does. In which, a robot voice? I don't know that far. I'm not. <laughs> drink and your at water. At that point, you might, maybe you are paying if you were honestly wanting to drink more water, which is very healthy. You should drink water. As we are drinking alcoholic beverages right now, offset with some water. Ah, uh, true, fair. Mars has a water bottle. How much is that water bottle? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Wait, so, so if you filled it with alcohol, it would be like drink more water. Like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> that is true. It doesn't know. It doesn't know that it's water. There was a cup a few years ago. I don't know if you all remember. It was called Vessel. And it yes, supposedly I that one. tracked like the actual contents of the liquid that you were drinking. 
and like the caloric contents and all that. What? How? I so it tells you if you have a problem or not. <laughs> I think so. It it didn't go anywhere. As I far don't as want I judgment so from a. From Could a it detect poison? Container. That would have been pretty cool. You know, like how many t- a king. Yeah, says, how many times are you drinking poison? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's like if you know, like if I was a king and then someone. You know, snuck some poison. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't make that sound, but you know, I couldn't make a dripping sound. So, do not Just, drink. <laughs> they're like, do not drink has poison now. Like, oh wow, thank you. All right, Augustus has uh, different problems than all of us, but <laughs> I love it. It'll probably be funded next year. It's the next billion dollar startup. <laughs> Anyways, as always, if you want to uh, us to critique this live, send us free samples, and Mars will review this for us and tell us what the hydrate spark. Yeah. Oh. You obviously. Right, I was so expecting it to be way more because the Valley Silicon pick. It's still sixty dollars for something that just holds water. I I don't know. That's, it qualifies. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's Valley Silicon. Good times. Uh, my TV pick is Messiah season one on Netflix. It it like sucks you in. It's a show about there may or may not be um, the next coming of Jesus Christ. Well, they don't actually say that. They say Messiah, but it just keeps going. It's like Homeland, but better. And it's, you'll you'll binge it really quickly because you're like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I, I recommend it. I went into it thinking it was like maybe not going to be that good, but it, I definitely got sucked in. I think you hit that really, really well. Good pick. My two picks have nothing to do with civic hacking. I was a big fan of the U season one. So good. U season two. Didn't expect it to be that great. I was kind of like, hey, there's no way you guys can follow up with this. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. And then another one. I'm going to say I really liked it. It wasn't the best show, like meaning it wasn't the best well done, maybe. But it's a true story or based on a true story. It's called Dirty John. I highly recommend going and checking it out. It's, it's just interesting on how it plays out. I liked it. It was good. So I highly recommend that one, too. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. It was great talking with you about civic hacking. Where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm not on Twitter. One of the reasons why I like to work on a civic hacking project is like so I can show what I care about without posting it online. But I have my email address like on my GitHub profile. You can definitely reach me there. I like to have like one-on-one conversations. So you can definitely talk to me there if you are interested. I am also on LinkedIn. Those are the two best avenues to talk with me. So Right on. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Any last words? 